I've listened to Straight From The Heart by George Strait for half a year. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me, him and his full-hearted memory, it's Connor. I am here, as always. So far, I mean, we're 116 for 116. Give it up. Give it up for that. Yeah, uh, uh, you're not, though, right? You're 115 for 116. Didn't I miss? Oh, shoot, you're right. The mixtaper was here (laughs) that one week he took over. I forgot. He filled in for me. Wow, that's unfortunate we did that to ourselves but hey i'm so excited we've got one of the biggest names in country music up to bat this week talking about george Strait, the king of country music as he's called as he's called what do you think is george Strait the king of country music he uh he's he's a top tier contender for it yeah that's for sure this is the first time we've talked about country since brooks and dunn we're going back a decade earlier than them back to 1982 I took a class on country music, and our professor talked about George Strait at one point. And what he said is, and I quote pretty verbatim, If the Martians invade, and they find you and take you hostage, and they want to know what country music is, also, Martian language is close to English, you just show them a George Strait song from anywhere in history. And that is how you would, like, identify country music. That's how central of a figure he is to what the genre is all about. That's a great quote. Isn't it? (laughs) So any Martians out there, if you're listening, and Martian language is close to English, this is where you want to be. You came to the right place. They should put this episode of our podcast on, like, one of those capsules. Oh, that we send out into space. Yeah. That has, like, a bunch of stuff about our culture and history and stuff. Yeah. To try to make contact. If you could say anything to the Martians listening to this right now, what would it be? <clears throat> well, greetings from from Salmon. <laughs> deep cut joke yeah greetings from et and salmon welcome to earth (laughs) yeah so you know country music you know some george Strait. i'm sure of it how much pretty much pretty much i mean the dude's released like dozens of albums i feel like you don't even know a majority of them (laughs) a majority of albums no but a majority of i listen to a lot of george Strait. i know there's probably not like a single i don't know okay well he's put out a lot of singles but that's good okay all right maybe not maybe i shouldn't say not any i don't know but like i'd give myself 80 percent on singles 80 percent on singles wow that is a wildly impressive number i'm not even close to that i know a lot of know a lot of george Strait. yeah and i knew some i knew some but i really didn't know much listen when you asked me the question do you know george Strait?" i checked yes or no <laughs> you didn't check no you just checked yes <laughs> i said do you love him you checked yes Wow. <laughs> yep. I actually didn't know a lot of George Strait outside of like the biggest of singles until recently. And then uh, I figured out he announced a tour, a mini tour, because he kind of quit big time touring. But he was doing a show and I wanted to go see him because how can you not choose to go see George Strait when you have the chance? So I started stocking up on his discography for like eight, nine months after I bought the ticket. Oh, so you're probably, you probably are like 100% then on singles now. Honestly, no, I, I'm not because I started old and I just worked my way forward. So most of the George Strait that I know, I mean, the bulk of it is 80s. I didn't touch the 90s much. I jumped to 2000s and then I 
listen to his most recent album from 2019 in preparation for the concert. So mm. I I had a binge, a very dense listening period of George Strait this past year. He'll probably be one of my Spotify top artists. Nice. Yeah, but that's my experience thus far. Let's teach you a little bit about him so you can learn. Martians, get ready for this. <laughs> well, history lesson from E.T. and Sam. <laughs> history lesson from us. George Strait was born in May of 1952 in a little South Texas town called Poteet. It was salmon, right? I'm not wrong with that. No, you're right. <laughs> you're spot on. Okay. <laughs> I'm amazed you remember it so well. Almost two years later. It took me a moment. His dad was a math teacher and a cattle rancher in the even smaller town of Big Wells, Texas. I feel like I looked up the population of Big Wells, Texas, and it has like maybe a population of 500 people. Like small town. When he was in high school, George Strait started playing with a garage band. And it's not exactly what you would have expected from a guy who is nowadays known for neo-traditional country he played rock and roll they love the beatles heck yeah you know they played covers and all kinds of like early rock and roll stuff because that's just what every teenager back in the 50s and 60s was listening to soon enough though he did get a good taste of country music but not from the radio most of his exposure came from live shows that happened as he says in every town in texas and people were playing hits from big names like Hank Williams, Merle Haggard, Lefty Frizzell, George Jones, and even non-country vocalists like Frank Sinatra started to make a really big, significant impression on not only his musical tastes and what he liked to listen to, but also his style and how he was developing into a performer. But for the early years of his life, music is mostly just a hobby for George, nothing more. He's working on the ranch and living life. (laughs) playing music on the side. After Strait graduated from high school, he eloped with his high school sweetheart in 1971. Shortly afterwards, he enlisted in the Army. And while he was in the Army, he continued to play in a band called Rambling Country. And while he was stationed in Hawaii, his wife gave birth to his daughter Jennifer in 1972. In total, George would serve in the Army until 1975, and he even earned the rank of Corporal. Heck yeah. Ranking up. He was honorably discharged from the military, and when he got back, he finished a degree in agriculture from Southwest Texas State University. And he continued to work on the ranch. You know, he is actually a genuine cowboy. Like... (laughs) That was his thing, is he's a real ranch cowboy. He's authentic. (laughs) While he was in college, George joined a band called Stony Ridge as their vocalist, and he pretty much stole the show, as you can imagine, after you've heard him sing for approximately two seconds. He renamed the band to the Ace in the Hole Band and got them touring not just in local honky-tonks, but also all over the region. They booked shows in Houston and Huntsville, really started to push eastward and build a larger fan base through Texas. He even tried his hand at songwriting with a few minor songs for the band, but it never really did click much for him. That is my one like bummer thing about George Strait is that he's not really a songwriter. Most of his biggest hits, he has had no hand in writing. Some, yes, and we'll talk about that. But yeah, it just never was his thing. So he doesn't get a lot of bonus points on my ranking lists. Yeah, it's okay. I forgive him. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's so good. (laughs) His music is so good. How can you not? So suddenly the band starts to make some connections. During some of their local honky-tonk gigs, Strait got connected with a bar owner named Irv Woosley. As it turns out, Irv Woosley formerly worked for MCA Records in Nashville, just like Leonard Skinner sang about in that one song. So he calls up his Nashville buddies and he says, hey, look, I've got this guy singing in my bar. You have to come here and hear this guy. You're going to love it. You won't regret it. So his music row buddies, they come all the way down from Nashville and they definitely liked what they heard. 
but they did not think that the Western shuffle kind of style was going to be super palatable to their country music market. They didn't think it was going to work. So they didn't make him any offers. They headed home back to Nashville. And George even went out of his way himself. They tried to go to Nashville a few times to solicit record deals and everything, but really no labels were giving them the time of day. So obviously that's pretty disappointing. George was right on the brink of giving up music for good. He just saw it not working. Nothing was clicking and it was getting tiring. He was heartbroken. He was heartbroken, truly. <laughs> but music, the passion was a fire he couldn't put out. Music was his lover in disguise. Yeah, she really was. He wouldn't let the honky-tonks drive him crazy anymore. He actually, though, I mean, did start to quit. He started to take a proper full-time ranch job. And he told the band, he said, look, I'm done. I've got this job lined up. I'm about to leave. Ranching was the only thing he had left. Yeah, it was. But they convinced him to stick around for one last year. To get a couple last full-hearted memories. That's right. One last year of full-hearted <laughs> memories. And lucky for him, that year was when MCA finally caved. And they said, okay, listen, we'll give you one chance. You can make a single. And if the single is good, if the single performs well, we'll sign you for an album. So they only have one shot at this, which is absurdly stressful. And George gets to work on cutting a single. That single was a little tune called Unwound. It came out in 1981 and it shot up to number six on the Billboard country charts. Suddenly, MCA was like, okay then. Like, all right. Sounds like this is a good investment after all. <laughs> we were wrong. They're lucky. Yeah. They fired Marina Del Rey. And <laughs> no. <laughs> trying to out, I was trying to work that one in. <laughs> oh, silly me. I should have said they realized that they had the steel of the night. Yes. Yeah, George Strait was the steel of the night. I can't believe I didn't see that sitting there. I can't believe you didn't either. That joke would have been the steel of the night. Yeah, and instead we'll have to wait for Amarillo okay. by morning. Uh, <laughs> I've lost it. I was doing so well. It's all over. I've lost the spark. There's always one. There's always a couple. <laughs> I'm impressed I made it as far as I did. Me too. <laughs> George's debut album called Straight Country came out that same year in 1981. Straight like a pun on his last name. Like, ha, I, I love it. His first couple album names are so punny. He leans into his name. Interestingly enough, he still used the ace in the whole band for touring, but when he was recording, he worked pretty exclusively with session musicians, not just on his debut record. Throughout his entire career, that was a thing he continued to do. And it was a departure from the style at the time. You know, the MCA people knew it. They knew it was going to be different. It's this era of Nashville's rhinestone cowboys singing country pop, and George is this bona fide Texas cowboy with his neo-traditional western swing. He's unique, he's original, and it just worked. It just clicked with people right away. And he rides that wave of success straight, pun intended, into his second record. And the one we're talking about today, Straight From The Heart. And I'll be honest, I did have a really hard time picking a record for this episode. I even consulted you. I know you're a George Strait fan. I said, look, I have three albums here that I'm going back and forth between. And I, I said, what do you think? And at the end of the day, we knew it had to be Straight From The Heart. Had to be. But man, it was tough cuts. Tough cuts in the discography. Yep. I was kicking around something like number seven, Oceanfront Property. But this sophomore album is just iconic. It's full of hits. And it's got such a good sound. <laughs> That's why we're here. That's why we're doing Straight From The Heart. 
George started recording this pretty much as soon as his first album hit the shelves. He recorded at the Music City Music Hall in Nashville between September of 1981 and April of 1982. And actually, the entire record was recorded and mixed digitally, which was a practice that had only just started two years earlier, in 1979. So this is one of the first digitally recorded albums, which is really cool to think about. I mean, that's how everything is done now, more or less. And he was just a a frontrunner. Two months later, in June of 1982, the record was released and it would peak at number 18 on the Top Country album chart. Today has been certified platinum. It's a short little album. It's just 10 tracks. Three songs on the album are straight-up covers. Other artists did them first. Honky Tonk Crazy is originally by Gary Stewart and Dean Dillon. Heartbroke was a year-old track by Rodney Crowell. And shockingly, mind-blowingly, Amarillo by Morning, one of George Strait's signature songs, is a cover of a Terry Stafford song that came out almost a decade earlier in 1973. I had no idea. Wow. It just shook me to my core. Have you heard the other version of Amarillo by Morning? I don't think I have. It's out there. I don't know if I want to hear it. No? You just want this one to be untainted? What if the Terry Stafford original is better? I don't want to know. Well, fair enough. It's kind of like the people in the cave sort of situation. <laughs> Bringing Plato into this? For the Martians. They need to know philosophy and yeah, yeah. all these abstract concepts. <laughs> Stafford's version is all right. It's mostly the same. It's missing... A lot of that iconic fiddle work. A certain je ne sais quoi. Yeah, a certain, yes, je ne sais quoi. <laughs> George Strait sais quoi. Well, je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. I don't know. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> sure, whatever. George sais quoi. Oh, good. That's good. That language is French, so if the Martians do speak English, they won't get that. <laughs> that one was a case that their language wasn't close to English. Maybe they'll get that one. And that's the only thing they understand <laughs> from this whole episode. Yeah, they're scrubbing through it, trying to look for any signs of anything that they can get information-wise, and boom, they just got it. Genesis quoi. They might think that he's our leader or like a god of some sort, and they wouldn't be wrong, but... <laughs> it's the best they can do given the circumstances. I trust George Strait to lead us through an alien invasion. <laughs> but yeah, three songs... Our covers of the remaining seven tracks, one song actually is written by George Strait. I can't see Texas from here, which honestly I think is great. That's one of my more favorite songs from this album. Simply because he wrote it? or No, it was one of my favorites before I knew he wrote it. I just liked it. I see. And again, he has not written very many of his songs, but this one was a, a shock in the good way. Unlike Amarillo by Morning, where I was shocked it was a cover, this one I was shocked it was an original. Makes me wonder why he doesn't write more songs. But yeah, in 2022, more recent times, Rolling Stone put Straight From The Heart at number 19 on its list of 100 greatest country albums of all time. Nice. People have called Straight From The Heart kind of the beginning of the legend of George Strait. And I feel like that's a pretty accurate place to point to. You know, the first album is good, but he's still getting his feet underneath him. This is like him coming into his own in a lot of ways. After the album came out, his popularity continued to grow. He started performing at rodeos in Houston, which was a longtime tradition for him. And he kept releasing hit after hit after hit. And I mean, you say you know all the George Strait singles. I mean, let me tell you how this man's career 
career went with singles. <laughs> he put out 17 number one singles, 11 consecutively, and four number one country albums in the 1980s. I feel like that just increases my likelihood of knowing them, because well, they were popular. I know. Well, this is just 17 <laughs> at the very beginning. You know, uh, Oceanfront Property, All My Exes Live in Texas, You Look So Good in Love, yep. The Fireman, The Chair, Nobody in His Right Mind Would Have Left Her, Am I Blue, Ace in the Hole. Like, that's all from this first era the 1980s 17 number one singles and the 90s brought even more hits at one point he had 31 consecutive top 10 singles which dang i know that's the 90s era is carrying your love with me it's check yes or no it's i cross my heart i can still make cheyenne write this down blue clear sky like (laughs) my gosh I think you could have a successful career with one of George Strait's decades, let alone five. (laughs) Just kept going. And of course, he toured the whole time, just as he's putting out hit after hit after hit. In 2012, he announced one last tour before retirement, which he appropriately named the Cowboy Rides Away Tour after, of course, his hit song. The tour lasted a year and a half. He did 47 shows. His ace in the whole band was with him as always. And to this day, they're still with him, in fact. His tour featured a ton of artists, some names you may know, like Eric Church, Miranda Lambert, Tim McGraw, Alan Jackson, Merle Haggard, Chris Young, Martina McBride, tons more. Everyone wanted in on this show. He's the king. Heck yeah. Right? The tour's final show was fittingly in Arlington, Texas, and 104,793 fans attended, which set a record for the largest ticketed attendance at a concert in the United States ever, and it broke a 33-year-old record for the largest indoor concert ever, which had previously been held by the Rolling Stones since the 80s. And of course, he's still played since then. I have firsthand eyewitness experience to tell you that he still does concerts, but he has not launched another large-scale solo headlining national tour since. From 1981 to present, just to put it one more time in perspective, he's put out an enormous body of work, 29 studio albums, 101 singles, including a record-setting 44 singles at number one. He's put out three live albums. He's just been busy making music. And as for awards, George Strait has the distinction to be the first and thus far only artist to have at least one single in the Billboard Top 10 for 30 consecutive years. Wow. I know. That kind of longevity and relevance is so, 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 so rare. And it's really just a testament to the music he's been putting out for three decades. He's sold more than 68 million records in America. 13 of his albums have been multi-platinum. 33 have been platinum. 38 others hit gold. As far as certifications go, only Elvis and the Beatles have more RIAA certified records. And he's tied for 11th across all genres for the most number one albums. Wow. I know, right? Solidly 10, only 10 people have more number one albums than George Strait. Impressive. It's so impressive. He's won 23 CMA awards, more than anybody, truly the king. And he was the only artist to win their prestigious Entertainer of the Year award in three separate decades. He's also the oldest to win it. In 2006, Strait was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. He was only the second artist ever to be inducted while still actively releasing music and performing. He's also earned one Grammy on 16 nominations, a number that's surprisingly low to me, but hey. The win that he got was Best Country Album for his 2008 record, Troubadour. So yeah, that's the long list of awards from a stellar, just unbelievably impressive career. And he's done it as a real cowboy. (laughs) But with that... I relinquish 
my primary host position to the mixtaper as he comes in and uh, gives us some facts, maybe some spins about George Strait, and I have to tell him what's true and what is baloney. Not baloney in a good way. Baloney like it's fake. For the aliens, baloney is a weird type of like processed meat. Nobody really knows what's in it because we're all too afraid to ask. Or too afraid to read the ingredients label. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get the mixtaper on out here. Yeah, scare him on up. Round him up like a rodeo. Yeehaw. Open the chutes. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Howdy, mixtaper. Inventor of the newest flavor of bologna. What flavor of bologna did you make? Oh, no, I already know your answer. Listen, I know the stereotypical answer would be pumpkin spice. (laughs) It sure would. (laughs) Obviously, pumpkin spice bologna. Yeah, it is that time of year. Yes, coming up on October here, mixtober, as we say here in the spin it world. Yeah. Here you go. That's what it looks like. Oh, ew. Hey, that's uh, awful. I'm I'm proud of you. I'm also working on a bubblegum flavored one. Oh, bubblegum flavored bologna, not pumpkin spice flavored bubblegum. Oh, no, no, no. That's great. I'm going to open an IHOB. An international house of bologna? You nailed it. <laughs> well, that's great. You do, you do spew a lot of bologna. You tell me a lot of lies. Sure do. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Certainly not. Today we're here to talk about... The ins and outs of weird George Strait facts. I'm curious about this. George Strait, I mean, despite being like one of the foremost performers in country music and entertainers of the year, I have the sense that he's like a very kind of private guy. You know, I I don't know what kind of facts you were able to dig up because I think he's a pretty straight shooter. Yes, pretty straightforward. (laughs) He keeps to himself a little bit. Enigmatic. I see. Let's just start with... He was Texan of the Year. Texan of the Year? Awesome. So, I mean, what <laughs> what a weird correlation. I mean, we had Phil Collins as an honorary Texan back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> this is a different thing. This is a full-fledged... Texan of the Year. What year was he Texan of the Year? Uh, 2018. 2018? Why did it take him so long? I mean, there's a lot of Texans to honor. I mean, you only get one a year. That's true. What are the specifics of the award? Is it like a living person? Yeah, I knew you would ask, and so I looked it up. Okay. The recipient of this honorary title each year must be a native Texan who significantly influences the state of Texas. So presumably, like, living. Yeah. If no Texans really influenced the state of Texas too drastically, you could pick somebody from the past who did. Well, I'm just, there's a lot of big Texas names, like Stephen Austin and Sam Houston and other people who have cities in Texas named after them. Yeah. I don't know. So what, 2018, I don't even know what else to ask about. I feel like George Strait should have been the Texan of the Year for a couple years. Who else has won Texan of the Year? So this award has been around, at least this list, ends in 1974. Okay. Names that you would know or care about. In 1982, George H.W. Bush. Mm-hmm. In 1990, Barbara Bush. 1992, Robert S. Strauss. Mm. Maybe a name you know. Mm-hmm. 2002, George W. Bush. A lot of Bushes. Yeah. 2005, Laura Bush. Yeah. Well, when you have... <laughs> two rounds of presidents yeah you can't have much more of a significant impact on texas than that i mean in 2018 george Strait. yes the most recent apparently they haven't done 2023 yet because the year's not over but in 2022 it was kevin brady okay i think this is true yeah yeah i am gonna say this is true i think if there is a texan of the year award george Strait would have won it in 2018 well if that's part of this 
I do feel like it would have come a little earlier than 2018, maybe. But... Oh, they did name 2023. It had its own special page. Whoa, breaking news. New development. Just announced that. It's just in right now. (laughs) Judge Nelson Wolf named 2023 Texan of the Year by Texas Legislative Conference. Okay. This breaking news was announced on March 23rd. (laughs) It is now September. That's okay. It was breaking news to us. Yeah. So, yeah, is this true? Is this real? Oh, you're sticking with... Oh, yeah, you locked that in? Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to. This is... A true fact. True fact. Heck, yeah. Texan of the Year, but Texan of forever in our hearts. Yeah. Just... Texas. Just, just Texan. <laughs> he, he is Texas. He's the Texan. No wonder he's had such a lofty career and won all these giant, long-standing awards because everything's bigger in Texas. Everything is. It's true, including the career of George Strait. Yeah. But with all of his accomplishments, there's one he's missing oh. that you would not think he'd be missing. Really? What's he missing? Is this another fact? This is another fact. Okay. He's missing the Nobel Peace Prize. No. Well, yes, but that's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Wow. Oh, I didn't even tell you why he got named Texan of the Year. Oh, no. (laughs) We got so distracted. Uh, I had such a good segue there. I just thought it was because he was a really rad Texan. I mean, yes. But also, it was due to his fundraising for Hurricane Harvey disaster relief. Oh, okay. So the 2018 thing makes sense in that context, especially. Yes. Hurricane Harvey for the aliens out there was a category four major hurricane did like 125 billion in damages along the coast of Texas, making it like the second worst hurricane ever. Well, they don't know what a hurricane is. Uh, tornado, but with water. If they you don't, don't know what a tornado, tornado is. is either. Man. A tornado is just a hurricane without water. So. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Do the math. <laughs> but what hasn't he won? Well, it's not that he hasn't won. I guess it is technically a win. I don't know. What uh, is he lacking? He is not a member of of the grand old opry for an interesting reason oh that is he's not a member of the grand old opry i'm thinking i mean i've been to the grand old opry i've seen so much about it and i don't think i recall ever seeing him hearing mention of him i don't even know that he's performed on the grand old opry surely he has he has not no he has not (laughs) and that's part of the strange reason okay what's the strange reason here why doesn't he why hasn't he been a part of this this is like the country music show for literally a century yeah to be a member of the grand old opry you have to commit to so many performances at the opry like a year every so i don't know i don't really know how it works out but you have to commit to performing there right to be a part of it yeah it's like a residency kind of situation yeah and he refuses to do that interesting and they won't even have him on to play because of that or does he just refuse to play yeah he refuses to play why that's so weird because he feels it's a betrayal of texas okay interesting what he said when asked about it in an interview he said that he's a texan he's a proud texan of the year i mean (laughs) uh, now (laughs) not the time of this interview but (laughs) and yeah he just he apparently feels that performing doing a residency or whatever in in nashville at the grand old opry would be betraying his texas roots wow i couldn't find like a texas nashville rivalry of any kind that like would be going on like, i don't know just i don't think there's one he doesn't have a problem touring as you mentioned he's played plenty of shows here but yeah just refuses to play at the grand old opry wow that is a bummer but you kind of blew my mind when you said that because i really don't i i really think i was so happy when i found that and it wasn't in your rundown yeah <laughs> <laughs> i really think i've never seen nor heard tale of this and huh 
Everyone, everyone has been on the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, you wouldn't believe the list of names. I think this is a fact. I don't know about the reasoning about a Texas rivalry and, you know, committing to performances and betrayal. Sure. But I definitely, I think he's never been on the Opry. Lock it in fact? I suppose so. And I may be totally off base and just my lack of knowledge here is my own downfall. But yeah. This is a spin. Is it? Uh, to spin but don't get too devastated because still be blown away a little bit he is not a member of the grand old opry but it's not because he feels it's a portrayal of texas that see i knew and he has performed there one time in 1982 oh wow before he was like the king like he was just yeah wow oh my gosh and that maybe would explain why I didn't know too much about it. And it's mainly just due to the distance between Texas and, you know, most country music is centered around Nashville. And therefore, people who are members of the Grand Ole Opry are able to do frequent participation mm-hmm. when needed. And he just didn't want to commit to that. Well, so he's never performed there again since 1982. Why not? I don't know. Is it like probably so full of members that are always performing? I don't know. I don't know. There's definitely space for people. If if George Strait walked up to the Opry today and said, I'd like to play tomorrow, <laughs> absolutely make space. This article from 2021 says he's only ever performed there one time in ni- late 1982. And that would explain why there's not a lot of evidence of it. You know, he was a relative no-name at the time, and picture video was not nearly as widespread as it was today so i i can see this he also has he shares this fact with one other famous country artist we've done that we've done Mm -hmm. i don't believe johnny cash is a member of the opry willie nelson is who i'm going for willie nelson interesting another texas guy yeah exactly but he has an interesting kind of twist to his because he was inducted in 1965 and gave up his membership to move back to texas in 1972 so he was a member for a little bit um but gave it up wow i see that's interesting yeah glad i could blow your mind with a little bit of trivia there like i've blown your mind with some interesting stuff in the past but nothing nothing that's like actually rooted in like music history or significance like that yeah oh Johnny Cash's membership, yes, he did, but he got banned for a while. Oh, a lot of our country artists have had issues with the Grand Ole Opry. It's, yeah, it sounds like <laughs> during a 1965 performance, an inebriated Cash dragged the microphone stand around, smashing out all footlights in front of the Opry stage. Yeah, uh, but he did. They reinstated his membership eventually. So, yeah, it's complicated for Johnny Cash. I guess I didn't know that either. Anyway, I got a lot to learn about the Opry. Van- Hank Williams was fired from the Grand Ole Opry in 1952. Mm-hmm. A lot of our country, our older country artists, have had issues with the Grand Ole Opry. I know. Wild, right? <laughs> a little in fact. I'll have to keep that in mind whenever we do a country artist now. Just to keep an eye on that. <laughs> keep an eye out for the Opry tangent. Keep an eye on Grand Ole Opry status. Yeah. Love a good Opry tangent. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back on track, on an Opry track. I don't know which one of these you're going to find cooler, so pick a number three or four. We could have just made it one or two. I'm going to pick four. He is a pilot who owns his own jet. Ooh, interesting. Jet? Okay, 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 okay. So, he's a pilot. Uh-huh. Is the plane that he pilots the jet? Yeah. Okay. Well, because I could just see, like, he lives in Texas. Lots of things are far away in Texas. Maybe he wanted to get a private pilot's license. and So maybe he has, like, a smaller plane that he flies around. But also I could see him owning, like, a private jet and flying two places. So what inspired George Strait to want to fly? Uh, I guess I actually don't know why, what got him interested in flying. Really? Suspicious. 
When does he get his pilot's license? I don't know. Oh, really? Okay. Well, <laughs> what do you know? I know he said, and I quote, the jet is my personal honky-tonk time machine. <laughs> okay. Well, what makes him say that? He said, we save a lot of time flying between cities where I'm performing, and we can use our flight time to get work done or just kick back and relax. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't fly the jet. That's what I said. Like He uh, he, like, he does sometimes. If he's going from like one performance to another, he probably sleeps and does other stuff. But... Right, and honky-tonk time machines his way around. Yeah. Okay. It just seemed like when you presented it that they were two very separate things. Like, you wanted to try and correlate them even though they were different. He is a pilot who owns a jet. Like, yeah, those things don't necessarily have to both be related. I know what kind of jet he owns. Okay, what kind? The Bombardier Challenger 300. It is a 3,100 NMI range business jet made by Bombardier Aerospace. It was announced at the 1999 Paris Air Show. It made its maiden flight on August 14th, 2001. You said it's got a range of 3,000 nautical miles? Yeah, 3,100. 3,100. Yeah, that really could get you just about anywhere. It can climb to FL 410 in 18 minutes while burning 1,000 pounds of fuel. Remarkable. But tell me more about his pilot, though. You got a lot about the jet. That's fine. I just, I feel like I need to know more about him flying. What would you like to know? Anything. Well, I know he's an avid NBA watcher. (laughs) You say NBA watcher? Yeah, you said anything, so I I had that information. Okay, that's Uh. great. Sure. (laughs) But, like, what about pilots? I I would like to know anything about him as a pilot. I know he, when he was in the military, he was an infantryman with the 25th ID, which is apparently the same. The 25th ID was also the one that Ice-T served in. Ice-T? Really? Yeah. Oh, that's news to me. They would have just missed each other. Straight was 71 to 75, and Ice-T was 75 to 77. So there's maybe a, depending on when they came in and out, a, a chance that they... Wild. Well, that's that's a new one. But infantry is, like, not pilot. Yeah. I'm just trying to give you something. Yeah, and this is either a situation where you're deliberately downplaying what you know about him being a pilot, or you don't know anything about him being a pilot. You're the one that said he was private. (laughs) I know. The pilot thing, just owning a jet is fine. Honestly, logical. But being a pilot, I don't think you've given me enough to support that. I'm going to say it's a spin. This is... A fact! He's a pilot. That man flies. Wow. Yep. He's a pilot. Owns a jet. Don't know much else about it. (laughs) No, you just didn't have anything about him being a pilot. Like what kind of... Nope. How he started, what he learned, where he flies to. Every source just talks about how he's a pilot and owns a jet. One site misrepresented it as a fighter jet, which was going to be way cooler. Oh my gosh. But uh, <laughs> They said fighter jet, but then everything else just said regular jet, and then I found the actual jet. <laughs> fighter jet, can you imagine? <laughs> I, know, right? uh, I was super excited when I saw that, and I was like... It's probably illegal. Probably. Texas flag on the back and everything. Yeah. Air Force One for the king. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow, that... It's a bummer. You're doing pretty well right now. Two to one. Yeah, pretty good. Well, what do you have left in the tank? Fire away. Give me the last taste of bologna. He and his partner make an interesting whiskey. Okay. First up, when you say partner, you talk about his wife or just his whiskey making partner? Whiskey making partner. Please. Okay. Well, I'm just checking. 
we've had interesting whiskeys before too when metallica like sonic treated bourbon with their music oh yeah that's right so what's george Strait doing <laughs> to make his whiskey interesting killing crabs killing crabs <laughs> what he's making whiskey out of crabs out of wait that's different he's making whiskey out of crabs crab whiskey well yeah what part of the crab is he using it doesn't taste like crabs <laughs> it kind of does apparently what i don't know here's the official description of the whiskey it's called crab trapper okay it says crab trapper is made with a bourbon base steeped with a custom crab corn and spice blend mixture best likened to a low country boil the crab is present lightly on the nose accompanied by coriander and bay to smooth out any high notes the body carries hints of the maple and vanilla oak notes lent from the full-bodied base oh the spirit finishes with heavier notes of clove cinnamon and allspice leaving a light pleasant spice on the palate hold on get your pinchers on this spirit while you can this is crab and bay and vanilla and maple and cinnamon what did i say i don't know you said all those things crab coriander and bay and then maple and vanilla and then clove cinnamon and allspice disgusting yeah i can't and corn apparently because i said up there custom crab corn and spice blend so well i mean corn in there too apparently all, all, all whiskey has corn in it oh that that's fair i'll allow that <laughs> i'll allow that one <laughs> It's called Crab Trapper. Crab Trapper. Where do they get the crabs? From the the invasive green crab. So they're like helping the environment by getting rid of an invasive species. Where, but like where physically are they getting it from? The coast of Texas. Okay. Crab Trapper, a green crab flavored whiskey. Green crabs are incredibly invasive. So one of my goals is to try and help reduce the population on Texas beaches and help mitigate the problem. Who's his whiskey making partner? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have even mentioned the partner if it wasn't uh, interesting. Yeah, I figured as much. His partner is Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. He's making what? Whoa. Oh, oh man. There was such a better way to give this information. Darn it. Can you pretend like you don't know that information? Okay, <laughs> I, I guess. It's going to be hard when I give you the next bit, but please, it'll be better for the audience. Okay. <laughs> His second cousin. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, maybe leave all of that in because that reaction was great. You're, that was, I mean... What a backwards... I should have said his second cousin. You would have been like, who was that? And then I would have said Jeff Bezos. You would have been like, whoa! Second cousin is Jeff Bezos. That feels like a whole nother thing. How is he related to Jeff Bezos, aside from being second cousins? Like, what's that familial tree look like? It's related through Maddie Louise Geis, who is Bezos' grandmother and Straight's great aunt. Okay. Which means that Straight and Bezos' mothers are... Like, second cousins. So I guess they're second cousins once removed. Mm. How'd this get started? Who approached whom about making crab whiskey? I don't know. It's a weird partnership. It's a weird product. Go buy it on Amazon. <laughs> really, though. And I can't believe he seemingly hasn't promoted it at all. I know George Strait, his latest big thing is this Kodago tequila that he makes. And he wrote a song about it, and it's, like, sponsoring his tour. And, like, it's a, he makes a big deal out of this. And that's, like, that's the thing. And I, I granted, it's not nearly as appealing to sing a song about Crab Trapper, Bite Your Tongue, Get Your Pinchers Ready Whiskey. But maybe he did back in the day. I don't know. I mean, you want me to look it up? Well, when did this? Yeah, when, what, what is back in the day? Jeff Bezos is involved in this. Uh, yeah. I presume it's Amazon era. Yeah. I mean, Amazon's been around for a while. <laughs> Oh, I know. <laughs> is this this is still a thing? Like I could still buy this whiskey though. Yeah, yeah, it's still around. And that's what confuses me. Yeah, this was in two thousand nine. Mm. Was when it launched. 
Okay, so I see here where they did an exclusive uh, prize package for get, winning a trip to see George Strait perform live in Las Vegas oh. by buying, but that's the only thing popping up. That one's not too far from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a spin. This is a spin. This is a spin. George Strait, we, here's where I'm at. Yeah, is related to Jeff Bezos. Okay. Yes, does make alcohol. I think all of his stock is in Kodago. I really don't think... I think you know about Crab Trapper Whiskey and think it's ridiculous because it sounds really fishy. And <laughs> and I think that you wanted to bring that up. So you found a plausible place to put it. I don't think it's true. Alongside being second cousins once removed with Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I feel like maybe you hope that would take precedence over this. And then there's actual true information about that. I see. So I might overlook the spin of the crab. I don't know. I'm just not feeling it. I don't want to believe that George Strait could stoop to making crab whiskey. This is a spin. Ah, it's a spin. It's a pleasantly kind of surprised. I really for half a minute thought maybe. It's a spin. What's not true? George Strait does not make crab whiskey. Crab Trapper whiskey does exist, though, and was of supplied course. to me by a fan uh, to use as a spin ah oh, that was a good place to put it though everything i described about it was true except i transplanted the crabs to texas they're actually an invasive species up in new hampshire mm-hmm. that's why i asked because i was gonna i needed you to say texas coast yep and i just wasn't convinced enough yeah but yeah crab trapper everything else about that was real you can't buy it uh, not on amazon I don't know, maybe on Amazon I didn't look, but... And they did a George Strait promo? Was that real? No, no, I made that Okay, up. okay. I did Google George Strait Crab Trapper promotion just in case something did exist. And all I popped <laughs> up was a 2021 ad for winning a trip to Las Vegas to see George Strait. And I was like, I'll just say that's about Crab Trapper. Fair enough. Also, I guess Jeff Bezos is not a business partner in this either. Jeff Bezos also not involved in Crab Trapper. No, but... But is second cousin once removed... From George Strait. Oh, sick. Which is a detail I found while trying to find more information about his time as a pilot for you. When you asked me to find more information, I was Googling. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> on the spot? Yeah. Yeah, on the spot was going down. I found a Reddit post where somebody was like, wow, I just found out that he was an infantryman in the 25th around the same time Ice-T was. Ice-T. And then I like scrolled down and there were some other interesting facts about George Strait, including that he was cousins with Jeff Bezos. I quickly Googled that to confirm that. <laughs> and it was true. So I said, let's just throw that in there to see if I can make the Crab Trapper thing a little more believable. Because I wasn't sure if you knew about his other alcohol interests or not. Oh, and yeah. So I was like, let's throw that in there to really just maybe throw his mind into so many different directions he doesn't have time to really analyze mm -hmm. the crab trapper too much yep well then you screwed up the second cousin reveal yeah and so i had plenty of time for everything yeah 50 50 but a sandwich this week it's, 50 -50. it's scary for me when it's a sandwich and i need to get the last one right to <laughs> save myself I, I like it when it's that way because either i come out on top or i come out on top because i count up 50 50 is on top <laughs> right yeah you can't lose that makes one two five straight 50 50s that's how the start of the year should have been but you got yourself up a couple points so i still need to get a couple but that's what we're aiming for so we're doing good heck yeah that was fun that was a shocking round you learned something about the grand old opry i learned something about jeff bezos <laughs> the aliens learned a lot they learned so much if they can understand this <laughs> if they speak English. Very important. If not, the only thing they learned was Georgia Strayqua. <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's all I got. But uh, until next time, aliens. 
Yeah. Farewell, mixtaper. May your dreams be sweet and your baloney not be as sweet. May your dreams be crabby with slight hints of vanilla. Yes, with a with a uh, gentle finish in the nose or or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna have to create a gentle finish in the nose for his next pumpkin spice creation it probably won't be gentle actually it'll probably be quite obnoxious in the nose <laughs> knowing him yeah but <laughs> his next concoction will be rather obnoxious nasally uh, nasally obnoxious yeah yeah i want to see that as like a like one star review on like a perfume olfactorily offensive <laughs> let's talk about the album cover of Straight from the heart, literally, there he is. There he is. He's just leaning against what, a a chair? Looks like a chair, maybe like the bottom post of a staircase railing. I don't know. A staircase railing, maybe. I can't tell what he's leaning against. It's very oddly shaped. Yeah, I don't know. I like it, that little smile. That cowboy smile. And the belt. Mm -hmm. Look at the size of that belt buckle and the intricacy. Wow. Also, of course, necessary picture of Texas on the album cover. Of course. It's got to be there. That's really it. (laughs) Yeah, not much going on on this one. There he is. He had the modesty to cover up his five head if he has one. That's not all that cowboy hats are used for, but yes, it's true. (laughs) I honestly, he rarely does not wear the cowboy hat. It's almost permanently affixed to his head. Yeah. It's just a simple album cover for a simple man on a simple album. And uh, without further ado, let's get into it. First of all, let me say, it's probably going to take you twice as long to listen to this episode as it will to listen to the album. (laughs) So get on it. What are you waiting for? Go listen to it. Do it, you fool. It's 28 minutes. You fool with a full-hearted memory. Well, actually, don't have a full-hearted memory. Have like a normal-hearted memory, I guess. Have a full, F-U-L-L, hearted memory. Oh, full? A full, yeah. yeah. Remember it with your full heart. Well, up first, yes, is track one, Full Hearted Memory, F-O-O-L, and it was the first single from the album written by Byron Hill and Blake Mavis. It was George Strait's very, very first number one in what we've already established would go on to be quite a legacy of chart toppers. Full Hearted Memory, just wow. (laughs) Really? This is a great way to just start off the album. It is. It picks up with the fiddles right away. Can't really call them violins in a country song like this. But they come right in fiddling. And just the atmosphere of Full Hearted Memory, I think, is incredibly immersive and impressive. And then he starts singing. And he sings this beautiful song about a guy who just can't forget. You know, his memory of this woman is tricking him, fooling him into happiness because he's in denial about how things really actually went down. And so that's kind of what a full-hearted memory is. Memory that is fooled by his heart a little bit. But his voice, ah, it's just as smooth as butter. Incredible. And I know he didn't write the song, but there's some good, good lyrics in here. The same old stool, the same old fool, played by the rules but didn't win. It honestly reminds me a little bit of a lot of the stuff we talked about a couple weeks back on Brooks and Dunn about drinking in a bar under the same neon moon. Yeah. But it's like a whole new take. And he wants this. It's cool because he sits here waiting on his foolhearted memory to kick in. Like that's, he's not ready to move on. He wants to exist in this foolish memory. It's kind of sad. It is sad. <laughs> and I think the song kind of weeps 
along with that sadness. That's really what it is. It's the atmosphere. It reminds me of the song that they added in the live-action Beauty and the Beast movie for the Beast, his ballad. Oh, I did hate that song, but I don't hate this one. What? No, I love that song. No, his voice is like way too auto-tuned in Beauty and the Beast, not George Strait, to be clear. <laughs> Makes him sound like a beast. Well, It'd be weird if he sounded all beasty and then sang like a perfect... <laughs> you gotta do something. Well, he is a human under there. Yeah, but not at the moment he's not. He's not under it. He's not wearing a beast suit. <laughs> he's been transformed. No. <laughs> True, but he talks like a normal human. Why wouldn't he sing like a normal human? He, he kind of no. He's kind of got an auto-tuned grrr, I'm a beast put on his voice uh, when he speaks too. I maybe I didn't pay that much attention to it. I was not a big fan. I like the song. Big fan of the song. It's on my uh, musical ballads playlist. Sure. Oh, I feel like the writing in it was okay. I just didn't like the production and the execution. But full hearted memory, I like everything. George Strait's the real beast, but like in a good way. <laughs> But yeah, it's like the same sentiment. He's singing about how, you know, he's going to trick himself into thinking that she's going to come back even though he's let her go. Mm -hmm. Similar themes. Very true. And it's such a short song. I want it to be longer. It's only two and a half minutes, roughly, 239. Boy, I could just listen to it for a long, long time. But the next song's even shorter, and that is Honky Honky Tonk Tonk Crazy. Crazy. It's like almost a follow-up to Foolhearted Memory where he's in the same situation but approaching it very, very differently. (laughs) This song's by Dean Dillon and Frank Dykus, and yeah, he's at a bar. He's put down his $100 bill just to drink till it runs out, and he is rip-roaring wild one more time just to try and let the whiskey whisk her out of my mind. 10 out of 10. What wordplay? I also gotta say, I really love the plucky kind of guitar on Honky Tonk Crazy. It's a whole different kind of emotion, a whole different mood than we set in Foolhearted Memory. It doesn't weep. This one punches a little bit. The other thing I think is kind of interesting about it is that classic country kind of bass that just goes bomb, 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 like all the way through. I almost feel like this needed a one song break from Foolhearted Memory. Really? Why? I don't know. It's just they're so similar. I think it would have nice to give it have given it a little space. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't thought about how similar they really were until I sat down and actually like looked at these lyrics intentionally back to back. Yeah, they're both, you know, in that George Strait ballad style, both kind of just weeping as you described it. It almost felt like he like had these two versions of a song about the same topic and he's like, "I don't know which one to choose. I'll take both." <laughs> yeah, he did kind of take both of them. You can have your cake and eat it too. Apparently. I don't know. I don't know what which song I would have put in between them, but I almost feel like it needed it. Ah, that's fair. I think this is a good second track, regardless. I mean, Full Hearted Memory is a good opener. This is, in terms of like its style and its vibe, a good second track. But thematically, they're very similar. The instrumentation sets it up like it's going to be a little less smooth than it ends up being yeah well tonight i'll be like he really leans into that and that's the point where it smooths out i think yeah like it feels like it's gonna be a bit more bouncy of a song and then it ends up not being it subverts your expectations a little bit yeah also can we talk about how great of a term honky tonk is i know we've talked about it before you know honky tonk is a bar with a stage really generally that's what it is it also refers to like the style of music that was played in honky tonks back in the day but what i'm learning right now i've looked it up because i like the word so much nobody knows what that means nobody knows why it's called a honky tonk that's what it sounded like honky tonk that's just (laughs) yeah really i think that's probably as close as you can get the earliest known use in print 
is an article in the Peoria Journal from Illinois. We already talked about Peoria, Illinois, too. What a time. Uh, from June 28th, 1874. They just threw the word out there. It is wild going to the Honky Tonk Wikipedia page and seeing Tootsies that you and I went to. Yeah, we went to the definitive Honky Tonk. Honky Tonk Crazy is all right. It's, a, again, a good second track for me. I like it as a follow-up. Yeah, what do you think of the third track, though? Good question. The only thing that I have left in the whole wide world. I like it. It's another weird start for me. I feel like I don't know what kind of vibes I get from the very intro of this song, but I don't like them as much. Just from, like, the instrumental intro. When you start singing, it's, it gets better. It's fine. But I just don't know if I like the setup. This song is by Clay Blaker. It's also the longest song so far by, like, a minute. Which is weird that this one is the longest. Yeah. I mean, to look at it, also, it's, I guess, the second longest song on the entire album. I'm just now realizing. That's a crime. Uh, that feels criminal. It's so interesting how, like, even when he's tries to sing with some intensity it still just comes out so melodic so smooth so good rich (laughs) it's like i don't understand it (laughs) he's got this rich voice yeah it's like eating an entire chocolate cake in one sitting listening to this album (laughs) it's really in a good way I mean, in, is eating a whole chocolate cake a good thing? I don't know. In some ways, yes. In other ways, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I'm just remembering an episode where you referred to the album, was it Leonard Skinner, where you said it was like eating an entire loaf of bread? And that was a bad thing because you needed something else in there to break it up. So chocolate cake, I don't know if it has that same quality or not. Oh. Is it good? It's sweeter. It's, it's sweeter. Better. It's like, it's like you know, you know how it is when like you eat something that's rich, right? A dessert that's rich. You're like, oh, I can't have very much of that. It's so rich. You get that sugar rush. Yeah. You eat too much of it and you're going to regret it later. And I feel like his voice Aww. has that effect to some degree really i've never had that individually all of these songs are pretty darn good I, the way he sings them is perfect but it's like i'm three for three here on this like super smooth rich vocals and i'm just going when am i gonna get a little something else when am i gonna get a little drink of milk to go with my chocolate cake you know oh like i need something to wash it down with uh-huh <laughs> yeah i don't think you're gonna get much of that on this album i know like i was milk starved and you know how i feel about milk yeah <laughs> i think george Strait, for the most part absolutely just makes one kind of song yeah there are a lot of variations on it and a lot of them are very very good yeah but he makes one kind of song <laughs> And they all are like this, at least in the 80s. I mean, I've listened to, what did I say earlier, 10 George Strait albums by this point. And they're from all different decades, all different styles and sounds and themes. And they all sound like this. Fair enough. The consistency is kind of what I like about him. And one of the reasons I think he's managed to stay so relevant and top the charts for three decades. Yeah, I mean... A lot of people like chocolate cake. Yeah, I do too. I love chocolate cake and I'll eat... A whole bunch of it. It's just, I need a glass of milk to go with it every once in a while, which is where I think my listening style really lends itself. Mm, get the shuffle going. Exactly. George Strait, I'm going to, I've listened to a lot of George Strait singles over my years, but I've never had to sit down and do such a concentrated dose mm. of George Strait. It's like the super concentrated coffee that you're supposed to like pour into milk or whatever to make coffee with be like just drinking the concentrate like that's what i'm done oh okay (laughs) i didn't dilute it down with anything like i'm used to i'm used to a weaker brew so that's been a bit of an interesting shock on my system a realization that you've come to yeah wild well i do think the only thing i have left is a bit of a weaker brew 
than Foolhardy, Memory, Honky Tonk Crazy, and most of the other things on this album. It has an interesting cadence to it. It does. You like can't really pick a cadence. Well, I also just, the way that it ends, the chorus isn't very satisfying. Yeah. Because he, he has this good flow going. I gave it all I had every night for all these years, pouring out my soul till it was gone, barely hanging on, carry me through. But then the final kicker, because the only thing that I have left in the whole wide world is you, kind of feels like it's out on an island a little bit. It's a different feel to it. But for as much as I don't like some of the things about the instrumental intro of the only thing that I have left, one that I always really like is the intro to the Steel of the Night. Yeah, and the Steel of the Night is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of milk I'm, I'm wanting to be drinking with my cake here. All right. It, really? What's different? He mixes it up. It's the same George Strait. It's the same voice. But it's used completely different. It's got that bounce to it. It's different. Like It's the same George Strait, of course, but he uses his vocals in a new way, whereas the first three tracks were all pretty much the same. I'm going to sing super smooth, hold out some notes. I'm going to you know, sing everything like I'm mournful. Whereas this one's got a little more pep. He's got a little more happiness in his voice on this one. The way he sings it. You're right. It's different. I get that. It's quicker. It's snappy. The band had just started when they walked in the door. Like that. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like this would have also been a really good second track, I think. I think you would have gotten both sides of George Strait if you'd gone one-two with this. And it would have given a little separation between Foolhearted Memory and Honky Tonk Crazy. That's true. The Steel of the Night, by the way, by Bill Shore, David Wills, and Blake Mavis again the steel of the night is such a fun (laughs) song though Mm -hmm. he's actually not mourning anyone this time he's excited about the prospect of this new woman that he doesn't think maybe he necessarily has a chance with do we have concept album territory here no I don't think so. I mean, he had that full-hearted memory, and then we talked about how Honky Tonk Crazy was basically the same concept, but from a completely different point of view. And then talking about how like the only thing he has left, still mournful, and then now, oh, he's got a new... He's in the Honky Tonk, and he's found a new woman. She's to steal the night. No. No. I think it gets lost in Marina Del Rey, Heartbroke, Amarillo by morning. Well, we'll find out when we get there. Eh, I guess. <laughs> well, I just like, he, you know, he finds this woman who's the steel of the night. Like, the one everybody wants to talk to and hang out with and dance with. And he's the one that ends up with her. It's pretty great. And the guy that she comes there with ends up chasing him out of the bar, shaking his fist under the parking lot light. Like, what an image. It's just so funny. The Steel of the Night has a great chorus. One of the best choruses on the album. I just really enjoy it. What do you think of I Can't See Texas from here? Oh, man. I'm glad you asked. This is the only George Strait penned track on the album. The only one he had any part in writing. And he wrote all of it himself. Heck yeah. I absolutely love I Can't See Texas from here. The Texan of the year himself. That's right. Talking about his vocals, since that seems to be what I'm on this episode. I guess. This is like a weird blend of the two George Straits we've had so far. I think you're right. He's still in the chorus. Hits some of those, can't see Texas from here. Like, still kind of getting held out. But he's got that rougher edge to his voice from the Steel of the Night. It's true. I love, I just can't get over it. I can't get enough of it. The piano is great. Yeah. This song sounds like it's straight out of a Toy Story movie. Ah. This is like Woody's Roundup. Like, straight up. I love it. Interesting. It's just so fun. I also love the concept. He's a Texas guy through and through. And he does what he does. He travels and he gets around. But when he's not in Texas... It makes him want to cry. He's he's frowning and he's upset because I can't see Texas from here. 
Which is so funny because like the only places you can really see Texas from is Texas. Well, and right in the border of Texas. And the border, yeah. A little bit of Arkansas, a little bit of Oklahoma, a little bit of... Yeah. You can be around Texas, but you got to be close. I mean, with the invention of Google Maps, I can see Texas from right here. I'm looking at Texas right now. <laughs> Say hello, Texas. Hey, George Strait, you don't have to frown anymore. You don't have to cry. Pull up that old Google Maps. <laughs> see Texas from anywhere. I also have it pulled up to show the aliens where texas is so they're not confused oh right well they probably know do they i don't know probably they'll look it up aliens pull up google maps take a look at where texas is and while you're at it look for where marina del rey is marina del rey (laughs) i actually did have to look up where marina del rey was i'll be honest i i didn't know but i went and found it when we started listening to this album and talking about the song you fool how dare you not know where Marina Del Rey is? Do you know where Marina Del Rey is? So, of course. Go ahead. Tell for the aliens so, so they're aware. Right. Yes. Marina Del Rey is actually surprisingly, I was shocked how close it was to Los Angeles. It's a little seaside town, a marina, if you will. Whoa. Yeah. I think I'll call it a Del Rey. Okay. But like, it's very close. I don't picture any of these songs as like big city songs, right? These are like rural country kind of anthems. Do you consider a marina a big city song? I consider Los Angeles a big city. Yeah, well, but he's not in Los Angeles. Go look up Marina Del Rey. <laughs> you just said. Look how close Marina Del Rey. No, no, you got to see how close Marina Del Rey is to Los Angeles. I can't be bothered. <sighs> Fine, I'll do it for you. Be like talking about like, look how close that farm is to the city. I can't I can't believe it. That's not farm country. That's city. It's like, but it's just next to a city. No, but it's like, like <laughs> I genuinely... <laughs> It's genuinely in the city. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, then you'll see it when I send it <laughs> right now. I refuse to look at it. <laughs> it's right. Do you see where it says Los Angeles International Airport? Yeah. It's immediately to the west. Yeah. But Los Angeles is up and to the right. Oh, gosh. That's so on the map. <laughs> no. Anyway, I just I don't associate this song with the place that I'm sure Marina Del Rey is. Is there maybe more than one Marina Del Rey? No. Oh, okay. No, this is the one that they said goodbye in. Maybe that's why he prefers Texas so much. He has bad memories in Marina Del Rey. Foolhearted memories in Marina Del Rey. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Concept album. <laughs> this one's by Dean Dillon and Frank Dykus. It was the second single from the album. It's certified platinum today and peaked at number six in the U.S., number two in Canada. And it's all about a guy and a gal who meet up on vacation, you know, separately. They don't vacation together. They're just on vacation at the same time. And they become very romantically involved very quickly before having to say goodbye in Marina Del Rey and go back to the lives that they lived in another place. Okay, so I want you to do me a favor here. Okay, I'll do my best. I want you to try to imagine this song deal right after The Only Thing I Have Left. How does that make you feel? Oh, that makes me like the only thing I have left a little better. Oh, really? I just, I think they go together well, actually, one after the other. Okay, but think sonically. If you listened one, two, three, four, and it was Full Hearted Memory, Honky Tonk Crazy, The Only Thing I Have Left, and Marina Del Rey. Mm. Wouldn't you be feeling a little chocolate caked? Because you don't have the steel of the night and I can't see Texas from here to break it up? <laughs> yeah, I suppose maybe I would. I got to that after three songs. Okay, your cake tolerance is a little low. Yeah, apparently, apparently. And as I get older, my cake tolerance has gone down. 
I do love some of the imagery in Marina Del Rey. On a hidden beach, under a golden sun. The phrase, loved the world away, feels a little aggressive. Yeah. I don't know if I love it. Why not? Why not, I guess. But also, doesn't seeing Marina Del Rey, like, in the middle of this big city like this, doesn't that make you question, like, where on earth they went and spread a blanket out and, like... Well, I don't know. I've never been to Marina Del Rey. I've been to cities that have you like hit a section of it and you're like whoa this doesn't feel like the city at all like maybe marina del rey is like a little hidden gem within los angeles i don't know hidden gem good thought good thought he sure makes it sound more quaint and nice than a giant city so maybe it is maybe i guess are you calling george Strait a liar no not at all he didn't write the song i like marina del rey a lot and i totally understand why it's one of the most popular songs on this album has to be a highlight. And I can't believe, for you as the ballad guy, it might get chocolate caked out of your top three. Well, who said that? It might. We'll have to find out. Up next is Lover in Disguise, a song that I can't help but think is just a little hilarious. I like the little drums at the very beginning. The ba-doom-doom. Yeah, I just like that riff at the beginning. Do-do-do-do. It's a good riff, too. Oh, man. Of course, the guitar guy cared more about that than the cool drums. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I don't think the song is meant to be as funny as it kind of sounds. Okay walk me through it well i just the whole concept of the song it's by blake mavis and jim dowell by the way the whole concept of the song is that he's got this woman who's you know this lady that he knows she's gentle and she's kind but she also lets down more than her hair alone in our room because she's more than a lady she's a lover in disguise yeah so she like lets down her guard and that carefully crafted persona that she presents to the world behind closed doors i know but i just i think it's funny that the implication is that she's absolutely not a lover most of the time i think that's absolutely yeah i don't get what's so funny about that are you a lover all the time or people are working like man that guy's a lover yeah they can tell (laughs) (laughs) they can tell there's a fire that burns behind these eyes fair enough (laughs) i don't know just just the concept of disguise it kind of makes me think of the stranger billy joel and i don't know i just conflate it just disguise in general it doesn't sound like she's very disguised there's also some interesting lyrics in here too they see she's a lady so they leave her alone she's more than she seems and in their wildest dreams they could never dream of what it's like to take her home yeah that's such a turn such a roller coaster of a second verse i love the sound of lover in disguise though as bizarre as i kind of think the lyrics can be it just sounds so good (laughs) You know what other song I actually really, really love that also sounds like they ripped it straight out of Toy Story? Do you like Heartbroke? Yeah, it's Heartbroke. What is it with you and Toy Story tonight? No, but that's what George Strait, that's what his music reminds me of. Interesting. Is the Riders in the Sky, Woody's Roundup type Toy Story Western music. Interesting. That's just what I've always thought of when I've heard it. This one's by Guy Clark. And like I said earlier in the episode, this is a Rodney Crowell cover. Rodney's original version was actually produced by Ricky Skaggs. Skaggs would go on to cover his own version shortly thereafter, and it topped the charts for him. When George Strait recorded and released Heartbroke, he actually had no idea that Skaggs' version had come out literally two weeks before his own. (laughs) That's a oops in the schedules. Yeah, they kind of did back-to-back Heartbrokes. And George's version did pretty well. It was a chart topper for him as well. Thank goodness. I love it so much. I'm just saying, so far, everything's working with the concept album. I mean, I guess a little bit. I love the little wordplay in this one because Heartbroke 
takes on multiple forms. You can be heartbroken, referred to as heartbroke, right? You can, it can be an adjective. You got your heart broke, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it, it turns into a past tense action. Yeah, yeah. Who kept me from leaving with my heart broke? It's just so clever. And I love the way that he sings it. You got your heart broke. Like that's just fun and a little peppy. The chorus kind of ends with this satisfying little double hit. A lot of fiddle solos and a mandolin. And oh, it's just pretty. It's just fun. I'm going to have a hard time picking a playlist song for this episode. Uh, you can tell. I know. What do you think about Heartbroke? Good, bad? I'll be honest. It's not a cake song, is it? It's a milk song. It's not a cake song. It's, it's a milk song. And you know how I feel, feel about milk. I like it. So here's the thing, right? Here it is. Here's the thing. I prefer the cake, right? I'm a big sweets guy. Got big sweet tooth. Anybody that knows me knows I love sweets. Okay. I was just saying that I wanted these songs like Heartbroken, I Can't See Texas From Here, and Steal the Night to be sprinkled in amongst the cake to give me a little balance, you know? Yeah. I didn't want them all in a row like it started the album off with. So you'd reorder the album. Yeah, I would reorder the album pretty much is what it comes down to. Heartbroken, it's a decent enough song. I don't think it comes anywhere near my top three. No, and I, it doesn't come into my top three either i don't know if i could say anywhere near well there's only 10 tracks so they're all relatively close it's true it wouldn't be in my top three heartbroke wouldn't no but rest assured it would be in my top 10 i'm looking at the tracks it's probably in the bottom five well there's only 10 tracks so they're all pretty close (laughs) but yeah so you know it's a decent enough track I don't think I loved it nearly as much as you're proclaiming to. I have fun with it. I don't know if I love it, love it, but I think it's one of the most fun songs on the album. Fair enough. Well, there's only really two upbeat songs, and it's the two that you described as brings up your favorite like Pixar movie. So <laughs> Fair. You're getting a little bonus serotonin bump from that. From the associations I've made in my own head. Yeah. You're probably right. <laughs> so I think you would probably have a little extra bias towards those songs than maybe somebody who doesn't have that association. It's possible. Now, a song that I think we can both agree is in both of our top threes. Amarillo by morning. Absolutely. This, I think, is probably the best, I don't even have to say probably, I feel like it's safe to say this is the best song on the album. By far. Certainly the most popular. This one's by Terry Stafford and Paul Frazier. Good job, Paul Frazier. And Terry Stafford. Terry Stafford, you did all right. They both did fine. (laughs) It's a cowboy song for a cowboy, through and through. Heck yeah. He's up from San Antonio. Yeah, he's. it's about a rodeo guy, traveling from rodeo to rodeo. I think this song takes the best elements of all eight songs before it and just knocks it out of the park yeah definitely the park is nowhere to be found it is unbelievable it's got that melodic smooth chocolatey voice of george Strait. it's got the weep it's got some great instrumental work it does some really fun when you get to like the big like third chorus or whatever where it, like the music like ramps it up a notch a key change the key change the rare yeah, key change the rare key change like, that is just mwah, chef's kiss, a baker's kiss in this scenario since we're on cake. Yeah. There's a reason this song is so popular and why it's like, like you hear George Strait's name, you think of this song. It's like the epitome of George Strait's sound. It really is, honestly. The original song was first released in 1973 by Stafford and Frazier that wrote it. They were inspired, and I hope this doesn't burst any bubbles for you, the two of them were inspired to write this song by the expedient delivery promised in a FedEx commercial that they saw. That's awesome. Is it awesome? <laughs> I feel like it's the opposite for me. I was like, oh, really? Like FedEx just made a commercial that promised to deliver to Amarillo by morning, and they went, yes. 
that's it. I don't like that. That's a really cool story for how you come up with like the hook. I mean, yeah. Right? And they're like, I like that phrase, Amarillo by morning. And then they took it and turned it into this awesome love song for Texas. It's true. They did build a whole world around it. I think that's kind of cool. It is. It is. I feel like if you were just like, yeah, they got the idea because they really love Texas or really loved Amarillo and their woman said that they'd be in Amarillo by morning. I'd be like, yeah, that's so stereotypical for how, like, that's that's exactly what I would have expected this song to be made from. Uh. And then you just hit me with FedEx, and I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> Not a sponsor. <laughs> but could be. Could be. FedEx, if you're interested, give us a call. We could be in Amarillo by morning. George Strait's version of this song came out as a single on January 14th, 1983, and the world has never been the same since. It hit number four on the charts, and it became, obviously, one of his signature songs. Since then, he's developed a few more signature songs as well, but this was the first. It's certified three times platinum. Amarillo by Morning has not only been ranked one of the best straight songs of all time, but one of the best country songs of all time. CMT put it at number 12 on best country songs list. Country Universe writer Kevin John Coyne said that the song's, quote, simple arrangement and understated delivery are the defining elements of just about every straight record since. And I think that's dead on the money. Amarillo by Morning is, you're right, you said it, everything George Strait, all his best, wrapped into one rodeo tinged package. And I just love uh, just the lyrics. Yes. He's bucking at the county fair. They take his saddle. They break his leg. He loses wives and girlfriends and people that he's close to to follow this dream of being in the rodeo. I mean... Uh, he ain't got a dime, but what he's got is his. I think that's probably the best lyrical couple on the album, in my opinion. I ain't got a dime, but what I got is mine. I ain't rich, but Lord, I'm free. That's just such a good set of lyrics. Absolutely the best pair on this album. Probably the best pair we've talked about in several episodes, if I have to be honest. I mean, in a long time (laughs) like that is great incredible incredible and i mean he didn't write it i mean i forget who you said wrote it already but i said they did all right (laughs) yes terry stafford paul frazier terry stafford paul frazier there you are you guys you guys nailed it with that one good job (laughs) (laughs) yes yes indeed and i still feel like this fits the concept album because he's talking about how you know with all his traveling he lost his wife and girlfriend along the way fits into the theme of losing his lovers that he keeps talking about in all these songs. He's finding and losing lovers all album long. Well, maybe there are a lot more lovers in his life, but they're just in disguise. Oh, he's looking at people going, that person have fire in their eyes? I can't tell. I need to get them in a behind closed doors. Well, if there's a fire in their eyes, you got to be careful because sometimes it could be a fire he can't put out. He's admittedly not good at that. Yeah. <laughs> a Fire I Can't Put Out is the last track on the album. Honestly shocking The Amarillo by Morning wasn't the closer. I know. I mean, how perfect of an end to the album would that be? I can't conceptualize why that wasn't the case. I know. I told you. When I reorder the album, I would move Amarillo by Morning to the end. As it should be, I think. It's... A a capstone kind of song. A Fire I Can't Put Out is by Daryl Stetler. Struggle with that one. I did because his <laughs> name is spelled S-T-A-E-D-T-L-E-R. Stater? Stadler? 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 Is that what you said? Stadler? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. Change your name, dude. Come on. <laughs> no. A Fire I Can't Put Out is the album's fourth and final single. 
It came out in May of 1983, and it peaked at number one on the U.S. Hot Country Songs chart and number two on Canada's country chart. Somehow it even ended up taking the number five spot on the United States year-end country chart as well. It has that weird hook that I hear in a lot of songs, a lot of older country songs. I don't know what instrument's doing, if it's the guitar or something else, but it goes like, like in the background. Go to like the one minute mark and listen a couple seconds in and you'll hear it where it goes like super high. I feel like I've heard that in a lot of different country songs or like something similar to that, you know, maybe with slightly different notes or rhythms, but that same style sound. I think that's fair. I can't say that A Fire I Can't Put Out is bringing anything unique to the table (laughs) at this point in the album. Fair enough. It is, of course, more of the same, but it is a great metaphor. Well, simile, like a lighted candle burning up my mind. It becomes a metaphor, though. You'll always be a fire I can't put out. I think it's honestly pretty solid. It's an enjoyable song, and it's very full-bodied. Like, there's a lot of instrumental fills happening in the background. It's not necessarily just the same four chords on repeat. They do a lot to embellish. Yeah and make A Fire I Can't Put Out a little special. It's also another sad song, another post-breakup song. Yep. But like in the sense that you'll never get over the person. Bringing the concept album to a close. Loosely. Stronger than several of my other concept albums. (laughs) It's not your worst. Yeah, you're right. I will say that. It's honestly maybe top three. (laughs) Kind of sad. (laughs) Could be. Well, hey. Let's get into some final spin. I'm ready for it. Final spin in by morning. Up from album art. (laughs) way up everything that i learned was from the mixtaper i hope not (laughs) i put a lot of work into these episodes i hope you learned a lot yeah but nobody listens to that part everybody skips right to the mixtaper that's i hope not true (laughs) oh let's give some scores let's put a cap on this final thoughts these songs are so short sweet and to the point the average track length on this album is literally like two minutes and 54 seconds it's tight They're marvelously produced. I feel like this album has no wasted moments, no extra, no lingering choruses, no unimportant instrumentals. I feel like the album has no lulls whatsoever. It sounds like that was not your experience necessarily. I didn't say that. Excuse you. Don't put words in my... Chocolate cake. I thought you got a lot of chocolate cake. I did. That's not a lull. Okay. A lull would be like if I all of a sudden had to stop and eat Brussels sprouts. Oh, gosh. (laughs) That would be jarring for sure. I also just really love Straight From The Heart as the album where, you know, the king of country music really starts to come into his own and earn the title of king. He's putting the crown on for the first time and it doesn't quite fit. He is. And he's getting used to it. Heavy is the head that wears the cowboy hat. (laughs) His first album is like good, but this album is like the beginning on the path to greatness. I love it. At least two fifths of these tracks are like all time greats. And the rest are just a ton of fun. I think Straight From The Heart is a standout among straight records, among country records, and among just sophomore albums in general. It's hard to find one that beats this. But that said, no bonus point, which is the biggest disappointment for me, is that he just doesn't write many songs, which is like fine, but also I feel like that's definitely a factor that skews towards having these 10 high quality tracks. There are 13 different writers on this album. Yeah. I get it, but man. So, my scores. Music, 88. Lyrics gets an 85. A lot of good metaphors, but a few a few spots that are just normal. Nothing's really bad. Instruments of production, 88. Love that distinctive, like, Western kind of sound. Really, I think at the time, bring in something new to country music that I don't even know if the genre realized that it was missing. And that's kind of what exploded George Strait into the limelight. As for the overall vibe, it's a 93. By far the strongest part of this album. It's a 28-minute listen. It'll be over before you know it.
know it. And it's just so captivating. Such a breeze. Overall score is an 88.1, which lands it at number 153, which puts him below Michael Buble and Crazy Love. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you're welcome for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you just always criticize where things are in relation to Michael Buble. You didn't do it for me. You did it because that's where you wanted it to be. That's true. It's also a little bit below the head and the heart from episode seven. Oh, wow. But if it had the bonus point, I just did a hypothetical. If he did write four more songs on this, that bonus point would shoot him up to an 89.1 and a ranking in the mid 120s. So far, I've got those 10 George Strait albums ranked and I can confirm so far, Straight From The Heart does rank the highest. As it probably should. I think so. That's where I'm at. Lovely album. Lovely guy. Lovely piece of cake. That George Strait. Maybe he's a cake in disguise. As for me, my top three in album order. Is this even going to be... Can I do your top three this time? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Full Hearted Memory. Oh, you're not going to tell me in the moment? No, 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 no. You gotta, uh, I'll let you know how many you got right when you once you've named them. Okay. Well, I've got at least two. Full Hearted Memory is one of your top three. Steel of the Night. Marina Del Rey. Amarillo by Morning. Steel of the Night's your honorable mention, I think. Mm, do I get a honorable mention this week? You do. You're back to it. Am I back to it? You've worn off all the ones you burned on Taylor Swift. <laughs> My top three. My chocolate cakes, if you will. Yeah. Full Hearted Memory. Yep. Marina Del Rey. Amarillo by Morning. And a little glass of milk. And I can't see Texas from here. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. I had the glass of milk wrong. I thought it would be the steel of the night, but... Can't see Texas from here? I'm happy with that. That's actually a more preferable pick from me. I like this album a lot. It's just I would definitely reorder it to give it a little better ebb and flow, I think, in his sound. Sure. As for my score, this one's getting a pretty comfortable eight nasally obnoxious aliens out of ten. Yeah, eight is not surprising i think i think i could have seen this edging into nine for you but comfortable eight is also acceptable where in the ace does it go you called it comfortable it's going in a spot that kind of surprised me a little bit i'm ready to be surprised it's going right above shake your money maker the black rose oh interesting which puts it right below everywhere by tim mcgraw yeah that's interesting to me and it's also interesting i mean i guess randy travis storms of life is a hard one to beat but also very far below mr misunderstood by eric church yeah it puts it in an interesting place with when you look at just my country picks yeah it's true other country picks that exceed it include... Oh, all my nines. I got that country row in my nines. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Willie Nelson, Brooks and Dunn, Johnny Cash, Lou Harris. I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that the flow of the album just messed it up a little bit for me. And, and George Strait is maybe just more of a singles listen artist for me so that I can jump around to the songs I want. I mean, he has so many singles that are all good. So, so many. So good ones. So it's nice to be able to jump around. Think of all the good ones we didn't even talk about. I know. Oh, man, it hurts. But maybe George Strait could be one we revisit someday and maybe we can get you an album that's ordered better and see if that makes a huge difference. Maybe we pick something from his more like modern stuff. We know we hit his early stuff. Maybe we hit some later stuff. Yeah, I haven't listened to Troubadour yet. But that record earned a lot of praise. Mm. That's the one he won a Grammy for. Mm. 
So we'll see. I am glad to see, you know, we had our long run of nines, but the last two episodes, you've given sevens. So I'm glad we're kind of on an upswing here before what I'm about to do to you next week. Maybe it's just a speed bump. Oh, I don't know. Or the edge of a cliff. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be honest. If next week gets a seven from you, I'll be surprised. I'll be impressed. Oh, boy. That's exciting. (laughs) I'm excited about it. What about playlist picks? We could take a fifth of this album. Let me put it to you that way. I'm gonna take Full Hearted Memory. You son of a gun. That corners me to taking Amarillo by morning. Sure does. (laughs) I mean, you don't have to. Kick it off the playlist. No, I don't, but I absolutely do have to. Do you have a problem with Full Hearted Memory? No. Here's the other (laughs) situation that could have happened. You would have taken Amarillo by morning, and then I would have taken Full Hearted Memory. Oh, really? (laughs) You would have been like, you son of a gun. Like, you son of a gun. That would have forced me to take Full Hearted Memory. You're making me take Full Hearted Memory. That pretty much would have been how it went down. Fair enough. So it was kind of a lose-lose for you, but a win-win for for both of us in the long run. Yeah. There's just so much good on this album. I'm sad we have to leave off the playlist, but I mean, they just can't compete. It's like there are three tiers of of tracks on this album, right? Yeah. There's like C tier, B tier, and S tier. No, 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 no. Calling it even C tier is bad. You got like A, S, and God tier. Sure. (laughs) Like nothing's below an A on this album. (laughs) Now the ordering is a bit of a B, maybe B minus. B minus tier? Yeah. I don't know what that is. We're getting real specific with our tiers. (laughs) I think that's the whole point of tiers though, is that you don't have plus and minus. It's just, okay. My tiers taste like chocolate cake because of how much of it I've been eating this episode. Oh, you're crying. Because I'm crying because we have to say goodbye to George Strait. We do for now, but we get to say hello to a brand new artist next week on another episode of Spin It that you won't want to miss and Connor might want to miss and where can they not miss it at well wherever you listen to podcasts that's so many places that's a lot of places (laughs) be sure to rate five stars tell a friend who you suspect may be a lover in disguise about the show and uh see what they say about that you can also find us on social media at spin it pod on x at spin it pod official on instagram and threads and of course as always at our website the best place to find us the super catchy www.spinitpod.com we will see you next time for more music and more fun martians thanks for tuning in hope we convince you not to just nuke earth do martians have (laughs) nukes that's a question for another time they probably got something worse well all you up there in your flying saucers you know what you got to do keep Keep spinning. spinning Taps, taps, taps. taps Are you singing taps? Taps, 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 taps at the moon era. It's over. I think we're out of it. Is it over? I don't think we talked about the moon organically this episode. Whoa. We didn't hit it last episode where we said we were just on the dark side of the moon. Really, it's been on the decline since Taylor Swift. Yeah. It's either over or we're in a really long new moon phase. Could be either. Who's to say? But I also just wanted to sing taps where I said the word taps for each note. And that was funny in my head. Yes. Well, I hope it was funny in practice too, but the audience will be the judge of that. Aliens, let us know. They don't know taps. Learn what taps is and then let us know. 